Hey, I've got a solution that creates more more shitty B2B content. Don't worry, we've already got that covered. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome exactly to B2B. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hello and welcome to episode 205 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 17th of February. Hope you've had a good week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm not a rock star, but I'm a three-time CMO and trusted marketing advisor. And with the help of my guests and chums, share the marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. You can find links to me and my guests in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com or on LinkedIn at rockstarcmo. And we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This week in the Marketing Studio, Jeff Clark and I will be discussing some new data on the B2B marketing time lag from Dream Data. And in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar, I'll join Robert Rose, who over a cocktail returns to the topic of content strategy and AI. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, it's time to check in with our resident strategy advisor, former Forrester Research Director, Jeff Clark, in the Rockstar CMO Marketing Studio. Welcome, Ian, to the Rockstar CMO Studio. Thank you, Jeff. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I have a sunny, crisp, cold winter day here in uh, in New England. And yeah. uh, so, you know, this time of year is the sun is out longer mm. and it's a little brighter it's uh it's uh it's good because um and yeah you know the ground here in the u.s we we have this thing about this groundhog that comes out of the hole and says <laughs> yeah, that yeah. spring's coming sooner which he said was going to become sooner this year so you know splendid it makes us long for the spring weather splendid and um you just had super bowl weekend as well haven't you so that's we, an we indication did. of the end of the winter i guess isn't it yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you? Were you in? Are you an uh, American football fan? Did you? Were you rooting for I, either of the yeah, teams? You know, I, I, I hate to admit this to our audience, but no, I did not watch the Super Bowl. We, um, <laughs> we cut, we cut the cable, um, and uh, and so we, we, I mean, we watch, you know, paid services yeah. that we yeah, have, yeah. and uh, yeah. for any of the content we want to watch. And you know, when I found out that it's like I'd have to pay extra to watch the Super Bowl, nah. I was like, yeah. You know, it's not not any of the teams that I would be, yeah. uh, you know, feel like obliged to um, to root for. Yeah. So, I think when we were in America, I think New York, New Year, uh, New England Patriots won it one year, didn't they? I think a few years ago. Well, they so, won yeah. it many years. Yeah, many years. Um, <laughs> I think it was like seven seven yeah. Super Bowls. Yeah, in a uh, over a couple decades, and uh, so you know, and I I mm. grew up. I mean, not to go too far down this rat hole, but I you know I grew up in. <laughs> 
Chicago. I was born in Chicago, grew up in Buffalo and Pittsburgh, and live in New England. Mm. So I've got I've got at least four home mm. hometown teams yeah. <laughs> that I can root for, <laughs> and usually at least two of them are in the playoffs, and yeah. uh, and one may make it to the end. Oh, cool! And uh, which one did you go to university? Which of those towns did you go to university? Uh, well, in New England. Ah, normally in New isn't, England. Isn't so that I, normally where the in American's heart lies? Usually, where they were in, they went to university in their formative years. It, you know, it is. Um, that's a very good. That's very actually. But you know, like when I grew up, I mean, my a lot of my growing years and starting to get interested in sports and stuff like that was mm. while I was in Pittsburgh. So uh, I'm still a Pittsburgh baseball, football. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah hockey yeah. fan there's no basketball team there so not basketball but mm. anyway yeah. all right we've straight that's my off, story we've straight off of the weather and into sports which is a new venture for us after all what's these your episodes. favorite english premier league team <laughs> i think i've mentioned this on the podcast before i'm a chelsea fan so i was born in london not very far from the ground so i i was that's that was my uh that was my calling <laughs> my my son has become for god knows what reason a everton fan um, wow so he always cheers to make sure they don't get yeah sent down to the wow. the league below <laughs> well it's gonna be tricky for them this year but um yeah and um cool well splendid yeah and here i was trying to i forgot i was going to look up the fahrenheit level of what we were at today because we were at 15 degrees centigrade which is like sure. It's, it's toasty. It was crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. So, so having a freakishly warm day today, which uh, we all know why, because of global warming and all that kind of good stuff. So anyway, let's talk some marketing, Jeff, now that we are in the marketing studio, not in the sports and weather studio. <laughs> um, so this week, and I, I think um, we've, we're on a little run here, aren't we, of looking at other people's reports <laughs> and getting inspired. So this week I came across, or was it last week? I came across a report that I shot over in your direction. It was posted on LinkedIn by Jeremy Sacramento, who's the senior content marketing director at Dream Data, a B2B customer data platform that um, I've had uh, Stefan Hedebrandt, who is the co-founder and CMO on on this show. And and, uh, they posted a a blog post about their report that quoted uh, a guy called Dale Harrison. And and the the premise is this marketing time lag, right? It's a latency between marketing action and revenue recognition. So that was the thing that, I, that caught my eye with this report. Um, so um, then there's a bit of a spoiler. So what they noticed is the marketing strategy you're executing in Q1 will hardly influence revenue in Q1. Most of it won't even influence revenue in Q2. Some of it won't even influence revenue this year. And from their report, and the report is called Testing the B2B Marketing Time Lag, only 37% of revenue is impacted within a quarter. It takes six months for 50% of the revenue to be impacted. 25% of the revenue impacted by marketing touches will not generate any business before the year is done. And B2B customer journeys are notoriously long and complex. We kind of knew that already, didn't we, Jeff? But the f- I think we I think so. <laughs> but they've got their data. And, uh, uh, and for that, they're, they're showing that a lot of B2B customer journeys are actually 192 days long on average. Uh, so having shot this over in your direction, Jeff, what say you, my friend? Well, it's like when you, when you hear those statistics, you want to go, oh, geez, you know, <laughs> might, as well, might as well give up because yeah. um, it's like, you know, whatever we're doing is just like it's, it's yeah. going to take so long. But I think yeah. there's, there's certainly a couple of caveats, one of which um, right off the bat is that, you know, I mean, they're looking at 
you know, big aggregate data. Average, mm-hmm. you know, uh, journey is 192 days. When you think about a lot of that journey is prior to them Showing engaging up. you, yeah. then that means that the sales cycle is, you know, is significantly shorter than that. Mm. Um, and I think that the, 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 the caveat I wanted to mention is that, you know, this is highly dependent on your length of your sure. sales cycles and, and so, um, you know, if your sales cycle is a quarter or a, month, a couple months or something like that, then you've got to adjust, you know, everything we say today, you've mm. got, you got to adjust to, to figure yeah, that in. As a matter of fact, you know, you know, we worked, a uh, company that we worked at together, you know, they had some products that had really short sales cycles from when they engaged a prospect, yeah. you know, it might have been a month. Um, they had also products that, you know, a year plus, you know, for an average sales cycle. So, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things to think about in terms of how you're reporting on how you're measuring impact revenue, engagement, service, like, yeah. is that you need to measure distinctly for the unique time horizon. So don't don't do what the report did. Not that the report did it, did it wrong, yeah. but from your perspective, you want to make sure you're not lumping everything together. Yeah, you yeah. want to say, you know, we've got this business over here where we've got short sales cycles, smaller yeah. deal sizes, blah blah blah. I want to report on the funnel metrics, et cetera, on that separately from my mm. other business that might be on longer sales cycles. Mm, mm, yeah, that's a very good point. Plus also, always with these kinds of reports and these kinds of statistics, and I do like it, and I'll go on to say that in a second, but you've always got to think, what does this actually mean for me and my business and how is it different, right? It's like any kind of statistics, isn't it? Is it different in my geography? Is it different with my products? Is it different in my category? And I think when you see some of these generalized things and you see them, once once these sort of statistics make it out in the world, they'll get quoted in every single bloody blog post you'll read, right? But I think... Or by us. Yeah, but I... <laughs> I yeah, well, I'm, we're going to get into some of the detail of it in a sec. But one of the things I do like, and, and I think I've made this point as well when we were talking about um, previous reports, is um, I think it's great content marketing when SaaS platforms like Dream Data share these kinds of insights that they can gather from across their customers. They've got this great content marketing just sitting there to share. And I think this is this is great. And I, I referred to it in my uh, blog post about um, content marketing, educational content marketing. I think this is a great source of this. And every SaaS company, I think, should be looking at the data they hold and thinking about how can how can the trends and stuff that I can detect here help my customers or my prospects or or maybe get me some pr and get me mentioned on podcasts like rockstar cmo <laughs> yeah. and things like that right so yeah. i think and, and by yeah. the way i've just picked this up there's um, you know and i know i've had stefan on the show but dream data have got nothing to do with this um you know they're they they not can, a sponsor of this show yeah well, they're but, not we're not on their payroll <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is just although cool. <laughs> if yeah. they're interested um, it's just sponsoring yeah so i, yeah. I so i so, you know, just to rewind a little bit from the content, I think this is a great thing for, for, um, for any uh, SaaS company to, to, to add to their content marketing strategy. It's, and it's much like the report I think we based a episode on from Sixth Sense exactly. where they were you know, talking exactly. about how much time people spend yeah. doing yeah, their research yeah. and education on, their, yeah. you know, on solving their problems before they even get revealed yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. on a website, third-party platform. Or to your sales team. Absolutely. And the other nice thing about this, although 
Um, I'm not sure about you whether you get access to the raw data, but it's again, it's an it's an ungated piece of content. It's a it's a long blog post, a long article that talks about this, completely ungated. Um, so again, being generous with that content as well. I think that's what we liked about the Sixth Sense report, wasn't it? It was completely ungated and fun. So, and I think that was episode um, two hundred two, wasn't it? Two episodes ago, I think that we talked about that. Cool. All right. So. Um, where do we go now? How, oh, yes. <laughs> I think last week we were talking about how, our, you know, how each of the things we're learning about, these sorts of things we pick up. How do they impact our five fundamentals? So how, do we, how does this impact our five fundamentals, Jeff? Well, if, if you know, just to kind of reiterate our mm. five fundamentals of marketing is the master plan, the research, the story, the campaign, and the machine. Mm-hmm. otherwise known as marketing operations. And so I think if I um, if I just kind of lightly touch on a couple of them, obviously yeah. it's like, you know, you you need to do the research to understand your entire buyer journey. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like the, the, the first thing when I talked about earlier about making sure when you're reporting on your progress on campaigns, you know, with products and solutions that have different sales cycles and different journey lengths. So you need to understand. Yeah. What is that? What is yeah. the journey like? You know, when do they typically, how do they, and when do they typically like yeah, to engage yeah. with a vendor? And then, you know, take that through, you know, the oppor- from the engagement to the opportunity stages. So that's, mm. that's just like, that's a, that is certainly a fundamental that mm. th- this particular topic with the time lag is, you know, makes it really important to, uh, to do your research. And then from, you know, the perspective of the master plan. So we're kind of stepping up to our first fundamental, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to incorporate, uh, you know, OKRs, objectives and key results that go beyond, you know, sourcing and influencing revenue because, you know, the issue, you know, here being with this gigantic time lag and mm-hmm. what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in terms of the amount of that journey that is like before they're yeah. ever going to engage with you, then, so what are the things that you do that have an impact in those early yeah. stages, you know, which is basically, you know, establishing your brand, your preference, uh, making sure you have, you know, high customer satisfaction. So that sort of ripples through the market. Um, also enabling, you know, your sales team because, you know, they're the ones that are not only working and trying to source their own opportunities, but they're going to be, you know, helpful as you actually engage the, um, you know, engage these people who are doing their their work to try to solve their problems. You know, those are the levels that work across the journey, um, irrespective of when you know they finally, you know, hit the uh, hit mm-hmm. the send me information button or yeah, give yeah, you a call yeah, yeah, or yeah. your chat on your website. Um, and then from a campaign, you know, our campaign fundamental. Um, you need to build the tactics that work across those stages. So we're not only affecting, uh, you, you know, the journey where, where, I mean, we're looking for success at all the stages across that journey. Um, you know, how are we influencing those early researchers, providing the education, which we talked about, you know, last week. And then once we engage potential buying group members, you know, how are we advancing them? And yeah. then also, uh, how are we helping sales advance opportunities? What you know, there's different tactics that work at all of those different stages, and you can report on either externally or to your executive team. You could report uh, report on the success of those particular functions. 
I feared that was going to be a rabbit hole. We might go and get lost in there. So absolutely. But it, I think as well, it, I mean, I'm not just going to mention dream data simply because it's a report that we picked up, but I think it also, Im- so you mentioned there that it impacts the research that we do, the master plan we put together in the campaign, but also uh, the machine as well, right? So we've got to make sure that we've got the right systems in place so that we can so that we can gather this sort of data, particularly around that very top of funnel and dark funnel area, right? So, and also I think this, and what I found from this, this is my takeaway, is it underlines the long and short of B2B marketing, right? The thing we talk about all the time. Um, so we're always under pressure to do the short-term stuff, and that's always the thing that seems to be top of mind, the big conversation around B2B, lead gen, demand gen, this quarter, next quarter. And actually, and there's often where the friction is between sales and marketing, but actually, a lot of what we're doing is not going to bear fruit for another year. And we've got to make sure that we know. And we need to do that stuff because it's a gift we're giving to ourselves in the future, isn't it? Is all of our marketing we do today, we're going to reap the rewards in a year or so's time. And so I think, yeah, it's all about the long and short of it. So um, what's the next observation that you found from the report? Well, you know, we, we've kind of been... Um you know, t- talking around this, but in their, in their, you know, view of this aggregate data, they were looking at, you know, market interactions that happen in Q1, mm-hmm. particularly, I mean, they did this study over um, this, the span of 2022 to 2023. So mm-hmm. those full 24 months, and they were looking at the market interactions in Q1. How do they impact, you know, deals um, by the end of 2023? And they, you know, in the report, they go through the various percentages of, you know, 37% of the deals close within, you know, the end of the first quarter, then in, then an increasing number of mm-hmm. deals. Obviously, these, these are additive until you get to the end of, of um, 2023, where they say, oh, look, you know, mm. you know, all of these deals have been, you know, impacted by marketing interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, you know, there's, there's a couple of... Um, there's certainly there's more than a couple of challenges here, so, <laughs> so you don't want to go on too many rattles. But one is, I mean, they're basically looking at influence, and then you could ask the question: Well, I, I certainly, I mean, a lot of people in sales would. Like, I certainly hope marketing interacted with these people in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and so then you kind of get into the well, how are we actually measuring the success? Not just because we've got this time lag, but because we have all these things that are happening over that twenty four month period um and so we really got to like you know sort of dig into the the details of the of what's going on over that buyer journey to uh to be able to find out what we're going to report to the um to our executive colleagues yeah and that and that's um yeah i mean that leads me on to you know my my next question on this which was how how do we actually measure this i mean this is a nice report it gives us all this data and all this shock but how do we actually measure this stuff yeah so you know, I know we often diss the the leads and the concept of marketing qualified leads yeah. or MQLs because it's been um, you know that's what influencers in marketing have been doing for the past five years <laughs> uh, is like you know leads leads aren't that important but the thing is that the funnel is still an, a very valid concept so the thing is what we what we need to do is we need to take an opportunity view of the funnel not purely the leads because the leads are those you know interactions whether it's somebody filling out a form going to an event or just somebody who you know has popped up on a third-party site that you're saying look they're in the market and we need to start tracking them 
And and so, but if we think about the funnel and we, you know, we start with our total addressable market at the very top, or and maybe you've mm-hmm. got a targeted account list, so maybe that's where you want to start and say, okay, now can we measure the number of accounts that are actually presenting single signals mm-hmm. of intent to buy? You know, again, that could be from, you know, our web property, digital advertising, third-party sites like a G2 or whatever. You know, we're starting to gather data that says, oh, out of our total addressable market, you know, our, our, our target accounts, we've got a set of accounts that are in market. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, once they engage with us, now we've got, a, 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 you know, another stage, which is actually starting to look more like our traditional funnel stage of when people actually let themselves be known and we would mm. call that a lead or an interaction. And, and, and then you can start saying, now we're going into a, a process that is more familiar, whether we've got BDRs working it or moving it and we're moving them onto sales and we're going through the opportunity process. But all through that process, you're looking at it from the opportunity perspective, not from a lead perspective. And you're looking at how accounts yeah. go through that process. And, um, and uh, you know, and to the executive team, you can start reporting the who, what are the numbers in those stages, and what are the conversion rates? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, that, that <laughs> yes, I'm getting a word in. Um, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, it, it's yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's accounts, not leads. And the the other thing I think we've been describing on the, on on the podcast is it's this you know from from the from the um, ninety five. 95.5 rule right which is 95 percent of our market are actually in this big bucket at the top and it's not really funnel shaped but as you say is once they become aware you know once they have these signals of intent they are actually in uh, in a funnel right um and also it's accounts not leads everybody wants to track pipeline and close business so we're just adding stages at the top right from the, for this yeah you're you're adding stages at the top and you're you're looking at your ability to convert across those stages. So, you know, if mm. you're not if you're not engaging in many people, what are you doing at the top of the funnel, that funnel to, you know, to actually, you know, improve that engagement. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we, you know, report to the executives and, yeah. and certainly within within marketing or within marketing and perhaps your sales colleagues, your sales operations colleagues, you wanna, you know, analyze the success of individual tactics that are geared for that stage conversion. Yeah. So what's the efficiency of our digital advertising or our own own content to get buyers to raise their hands? What's the efficiency of our, you know, our sales development reps in terms of being able to like set meetings or, you know, pull mm. people into the pipeline. And, you know, that's that gets the getting down into the the yeah, weeds, yeah. but that is the stuff that's helpful to understand that you're you've you've acknowledged that there's a buyer journey and you're moving people through it and you're looking at how well you're doing at each of those stages yeah and but i mean this is um you know just to get us back to this sort of time lag concept i mean what you've described there is 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 you know is the process one needs to follow but how does this help us account for the time lag? how does this you know what you've just described is like you know exactly what we should be doing but does this does this research change that you know how does it help us account for that i I don't think i'm not sure well i think one of the ways it changes it and and this is certainly something i've been talking to clients about for for a long time is you know like looking at that rolling 12 month view Mm -hmm. of your of your those funnel metrics and maybe it's a rolling 24 month view uh you know again depending on what your um what your cycles look like 
But, you know, with that rolling view, you can start to tell a story because reporting mm-hmm. is all about telling a story of the success at each of those stages. And so, you know, what's of our success about building and expanding pipeline? Uh, what's our, you know, ability to, to close sales across that rolling mm-hmm. uh that rolling period. And, you know, this is where I think this is certainly one of the areas where the CMO and the team need to be able to master their ability to analyze the data that they are able to, to have. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's the story we can pull out of this vast pool of data? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it's, uh, and if, and if, you know, if the, tw- as I said, if the 12 month view doesn't paint the whole picture, then spread it out to 18 or two years to see what does, you know, yeah, yeah. paint that picture. Um, depending on the product, I think, as you were saying, yeah. right? If you've got a fast-moving, yeah. cheap product and and it's SaaS, then it's going to be much tighter. But again, like you were saying, if it's a more of a considered purchase that requires the CEO sign-off or something, it's likely to be an eighteen-month job, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I think this is this is a way of of showing in marketing that you are concerned about things that everybody else uh, from the executive team on down mm. to the other functions. They're interested in pipeline and closing revenue. Yeah. So I think that taking this view and being able to take even the long view, it's certainly it's tough when you're in month one <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. like we're not showing. But, you know, once once you've got a year's experience, um, not only can you you can show that longer view, but you can start to look at what needs mm-hmm. to change to improve those conversions over that long view. Yeah. So uh, the, what I'm what I'm getting from this then really is it's excellent. The dream data have shared you know, this sort of um, broad brush, this is this is how it looks for all of their customers, right? But I think that it sounds to me like what we're saying is we need to go in and do the hard work on our own data, right? So it might be that in the general sort of ballpark of what Dream Data we're looking at, and it does it they don't segment by industry or anything like that. It's you assume it's just B2B. It's you know, thirty seven percent of revenue is impacted within a quarter. That number may be very different for you, mightn't it? And it might be Maybe very important for you to understand. Very that. different. Yeah. yeah, and the six month so it sounds like we need a dashboard that shows how much revenue is impacted this quarter, um, how long it takes for, you know, for in revenue to be impacted and to work itself Because I assume it's like a you know, it's, it's fat and it's thinner or it's fat it's thinner <laughs> yeah. and gets fatter, right? It, it's where how does that work? And um and then where, and when it's also about attribution, isn't it? Which is notoriously bloody hard as well, isn't it? It's, when did this thing actually fall into our funnel? So it'd be interesting to dig into their dream data, data and see like what do they consider to be that first touch? Where did this hundred night this this hundred ninety day clock start? You know, and how, where does that start with you? So yeah, so this is great. Thank you, Jeff. So this, so the so really our takeaway here is. Great. It's it, obviously great content marketing, great set of numbers for us to look at, but also a model, I think, that we need to apply to our own data, right? Absolutely. Oh, cool. Absolutely. So our last um, part of our agenda, so that's our conclusion, um, is uh, what song are we going with this week, Jeff? Well, we're talking about time, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a, a great song from uh, one of my favorite, maybe it's our favorite band's Coldplay from uh. the 2000s called Clocks. Yes. And I just, I just, I, I saw this line in the lyrics and I was like, oh my God, we gotta, we gotta pull this one out. <laughs> Cursed, missed opportunities. Am I part of the cure or am I part of the disease? I love so it. to all you marketers out there, be part of the cure and 
Don't miss those opportunities. I love it. So I'll play out with a very small bit of Clocks by Coldplay from 2002. And will you be in the studio next week, Jeff? I will be. I will be here. I look forward to seeing you. You're welcome to join me. (laughs) Thank you. Lights go out and I can be saved. Tides that I tried to swim against. a little bit of Clocks by Coldplay. And just to clarify, Stefan from Dream Data was on episode 103, of course, and not 203, as I mistakenly said at the start there. And I'll include a link to his interview in the show notes, as well as that blog post with the data we refer to called Testing the B2B Time Lag on the Dream Data blog. Right, it's that time of the week. To wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join the chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing book. Good evening, Roberts. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. And wow, what is okay? I this is one of my favorites. This is the, you have really changed over the. You've got like a 1940s noir detective film. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, I feel like I should put on my inner sort of Philip Marlowe monologue here and mm-hmm. and and go. He walked into the bar. It was cloudy. There was a dame at the piano. She didn't get it, but he would. So <laughs> you do that so yeah. much better than me. Yeah. Yes. Well, we have the perfect cocktail yes. associated with this wonderful mm-hmm. jazz, smoke-filled, noir I'm detective glad you story. <laughs> and this is called a, the the drink that we have tonight. It's called the Bushwick, mm. um, and it's a New York uh, drink. Um, and it again for the second week in a row, it's a rye. I've been, I've been really um, fond of the rye whiskey of late. Mm. Um, and if you get your favorite, it's got to be a good rye. Like, don't get a cheap rye. Get a really good rye whiskey for this. And and this you're going to be you're going to. I mean, this remember we're nineteen you know nineteen forties nineteen fifties film noir here. You're going to go healthy with your rye whiskey shot here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be two ounces. Uh, of rye whiskey. So two parts uh, rye whiskey. Um, And then you're going to go with a three-quarter part or three-quarter of an ounce uh, sweet vermouth. So this is an important distinction, a sweet vermouth there. Um, I've been really looking at the vermouths lately and sort of (laughs) really drawing the lines there. But look for a sweet vermouth there. And then if you want a maraschino cherry in it, do it. I think it doesn't need the maraschino cherry because it's cooler and way more, you know, way more detectivey if you do the <laughs> uh, if you do it without the maraschino cherry. But yeah, a little maraschino cherry if you like, um, and then uh, a little if you have it, you can go just straight up with the sweet vermouth and the rye whiskey. Mm-hmm. But if you have it, a little bit of amaro lucano or one of your favorite amaros, um, you can you can you know go just a small. Like a, you know, maybe a quarter part or you know eighth or something mm-hmm. like that. Put all that into 
This goes into a shaker because, yep. of course, you have to shake this yes. with ice, uh, stir it, shake it, etc., until it's well, well chilled. And then you want to strain that into. And if you have them, this was the and this is what we have for the bar this week, of course, because mm-hmm. of the theme. You've got a Nick and Nora Charles glass. Um, you know the very. And if you don't know what a Nick and Nora uh, uh, glass is, it's a very small, sort of almost like a mini martini glass. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you pour that in there, and it's you know it's 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 nice. it's, it's set for some cool piano, some some, mm-hmm. some cool jazz, and uh, a detective <laughs> story that we might have. Yeah, but I don't have a small martini glass in this house, but I'll. Uh, it sounds like something I need to invest in. Uh, so um, I don't know how to, where to go with this. So um, so when I look across the bar and. And uh, and we're we're oh where are we by the way I forgot to uh, I don't know this sh- I don't know the structure of my own show so <laughs> well, <I laughs> where think, are we so taking these drinks in this in this cool noir this was um, I think so in a classic sort of film noir way I yes. would say we're going to be in downtown Los Angeles uh-huh. um, I just ate it I had there's an amazing restaurant downtown um, in L A um, that I went to uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, it's called the Factory Kitchen, and it's it's right in the middle of classic old school LA downtown. Yeah, um, and and it's uh, it you know the inside of the restaurant isn't very film noir; it's not very deco, <laughs> but it, but it, but it, but at the same time, it's a great restaurant. So I figure we're downtown LA uh-huh. in one of the classic dive bars yes. uh, down there. Um, and enjoying enjoying these bushwicks. Oh, splendid! I've been to LA for ages. Yes, that sounds fantastic. So um, <laughs> I can't make the segue with the film noir, but um, <laughs> when we're in this beautiful place in LA and we're listening to all this uh, this cool uh, cool jazz and uh, conversation turns to Martin, what's the topic this week? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about AI strategy. Uh-huh. Um, yes, uh, and. You know, because it's only been, I, you know, I, I think we have to do it like every every hour on the hour um, these days. Yes. But here's here's what I'm coming to the conclusion to, and, and I'm starting to notice a real tension here um, as I sort of scan my LinkedIn feed and my yeah. threads and, yeah, and yeah. looking at uh, all the different news items that are out there about what's going on with and this and I'm specifically speaking of generative AI here for mm-hmm. the for the for the most part, which is I'm beginning to think more and more, um, and a, this is a hypothesis that I have, is that really there is no such thing uh as an AI strategy. There shouldn't be an AI strategy. And I think the the inability to come to a conclusion on that is what CMOs, CEOs, CIOs are struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um and this is because what I'm seeing more and more of is this sort of nuanced tension of basically companies faking it, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, I, I, I saw a post the other day where someone was saying, you know, the, the CMO has th- thrown up literally a chat bot on their website to be able to say to their board uh, and their investors that, they're, that they quote unquote have an AI yeah, yeah. program going on, right? Yeah. Or... You've got another one who uh, I saw. I saw someone else post up that uh, basically they're 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 trying to find a chief AI strategist, <laughs> like you know, literally a C-suite level AI person, because they they're they're yeah. trying to show to their 
constituents, whether it's the board or, or, or their, you know, or their major mm-hmm. leadership that they're taking AI seriously and specifically generative AI. And it's this, te- you know, that on one side of the scale and the other in terms of how few teams have actually, and companies have actually integrated G- gen AI into their overall workflow and, and, and process. Um, and this was something we covered on a webinar, uh, a couple of, uh, a month ago or so now. Um, but the general feeling is that there should be something, right? There should be some miraculous new capability that we now have that we didn't have before. And so you've got this sort of tension of, well, AI is going to take our job and expand our creativity and inspire us to, you know, get rid of the humans, those pesky humans, by the way, that, you know, are running around and doing stuff. Oh, and by the way, uh, the tell us, you know, hey, hey, marketing leaders, tell us which ones of those things is actually going to be, right? Are we going to get rid of people? Are we going to have more of these capabilities that we didn't have before? Are we going to have all these things and do it quick because we feel like we're getting left behind? And what I'm finding is, is that basically <laughs> Gen AI is kind of the new car that we didn't ask for, right? <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, what we, what we think about, right? If you, if you think about where we are in marketing right now mm-hmm. with trust, with misinformation, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that were happening in 2019, 2020, 2021, the last five years with regard to the noise, the tsunami of content, the more content problem, the misinformation, the distrust, all the things that have been going on. If you could have picked the worst time to introduce an artificial way to create content, more content at scale, this would have been it, right? Yeah, yeah. This this, this would have been this would have been the 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 thing. And so the last thing that we would really have needed quite on uh, you know as as marketers is this way to artificially create more content and more <laughs> mediocre content at scale. Yeah. And so you start to, that's the weirdness, right? That's the yeah. weirdness that most of these teams are in right now, which yeah. is like, well, well, what do we do with this? Right. What, yeah. what do we do? That's actually going to make us better mm. to do this. And so we go, ah, all right, well we can create all this amazing consistency and cohesiveness with AI. And it's going to help us, you know, create content, all this derivative content at scale. And it's like, well, but no, we don't want to contribute our stuff to the public learning model. And it's all going to be out there and copyright and copyright. And by the way, copyright. And (laughs) then all of a sudden we go, well, okay, we'll build our own learning model. We'll buy one of these tools that we can build our own learning model with. And it's like, yeah, but if you could build your own learning model, you don't have enough data. You don't have enough mm-hmm. content to actually build a learning model that does the cool stuff that ChatGPT does. So mm-hmm. what do you do about that? And then, by the way, if we do have enough data, it's going to be millions of dollars and take months and months and months for us to do that. So what do we do with all of that, right? Yeah. What do we, what, as, a, as a team, as a team mm-hmm. that's trying to figure this out and you know, acquiesce to the pressure of what we're supposed to do with this generative AI thing, what do we, what do, we do with all of that? Yeah. And ultimately... I think the first step is that you have to recognize that AI, generative AI, AI is not a strategy. It's an opportunity looking for an application to a strategy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so thinking about that, right, that means it doesn't matter if we hire this chief AI person or people to play out, you know, all the use cases or whatever. 
you can't make a decision about moving forward with an integrated approach if you don't look at applying the innovation to the mm -hmm. approaches that you have. Yeah. In other words, you have to understand where the problems are, where the efficiencies are, where the yeah. innovation can come in our process before you can apply an innovation like yeah. AI in any, in any kind of integrated way. Yeah. And I'll give you a classic example of this. We had a client come to us uh, a couple of weeks ago who said, our big question is, well, do we rely on a suite-like platform like Microsoft Copilot, you know, that's embedded into all the Microsoft tools, and should that be our AI creation solution? Or should we, you know, buy one of these off-the-shelf sort of custom tools to help us, you know, create brand consistency and translation management and content creation and workflow automation, et cetera? Yeah. And my answer to that question was, well, I have two more questions. What process are you trying to innovate? Yeah. Right. What's the strategy you're trying to innovate? Yeah. More importantly, do you understand the current approach well enough to even understand where the innovation might make create value? Yeah. And this is the fascinating thing of where we find ourselves is that AI innovation is looking for a strategy to optimize. <laughs> and if we don't know the strategy that we're trying to optimize, it can't optimize anything. No, so no. if you show me a business that understands their smart content strategy, a smart content yes. process, their operations and marketing. Now I'll show you a company that is either prime or already integrating mm. AI in a, in a, in an appropriate way. I love that. I mean, I love the way you frame that. And I mean, this idea that somebody would hire a, a chief AI strategy officer, that guy is going to wander around that business with a hammer looking for nails. Right. And that may not be, you know, it, it, that's, totally wrong like somebody's trying to build a shed that needs screws or whatever a terrible that's right. analogy but you know and i, I think yeah. that's that's so perfect and i, I and um yeah it's this idea of um actually uh, it and isn't so much of what we talk about is basically getting down to understanding what your process is and what's really going on and then let's look at this new doohickey whatever kind of thing it is right it's it just seems to be that seems to be the basic advice right now yeah, it's the equivalent. I mean, looking for your AI strategy is the yeah. equivalent of looking for your telephone strategy. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. what's yeah. your strategy for telephone? Right? It's like, what do you, what do you mean? Or, or computing. Yeah. What's yeah. your computing strategy as a yeah. marketing team? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's that's the that's the equivalent, and and mm. it's like, no, no, no. You you apply those innovations. You apply the innovation of of telephone or computing to the things that you do. Right? Mm. How are they going to innovate your sales process, your content process, your you know customer service process? Your and if you don't understand those processes, which yeah. so many when it comes to content, so many businesses don't yeah. understand content at all. Right? Yeah. They and again, this gets back to sort of the original challenge, which is well. This is the thing that we didn't need. Nobody asked for this. Nobody, <laughs> nobody was like, oh my God, I wish we had some way to artificially create more average content so that we can do it at scale, right? It's like scale has not been a problem, right? Scale has not been a problem for marketing teams. They've, yeah. they've been able to create more and more and more crap yeah. content. You know, you yeah. don't need a tool to do that or automate that. Yeah. You know, the value theoretically should be in the tool helps you do all of the things that you need to do so that you can make room for all of the cool, interesting, creative stuff that you don't want AI to do. Yeah. 
And, yeah. and, but in order to understand that gap, you've got to understand what it is that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And where it can fit into the process. And I think a lot of people are talking about um, AI being like a, a creative partner almost, you know, that you, you, it needs to be used in other ways and generative content. And I love the way that you're describing what, what I'm picturing here is, is, Hey, I've got a solution that creates more, more shitty B2B content. Don't worry. We've already got that covered. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome exactly to B2B. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. It's this, you know, here, here's this magical new way that you can write 10 more blog posts a week. We could do that. We, we, I, I, I could do that. I don't just, need, I don't need a tool to do that. Especially if you just want the shit generic ones. I've got loads of those. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I can hire, I can hire it. There's, there's, there's services that do this, right? <laughs> I love this. Thank you, Robert. So where are people going to find content that is, is none of those things? Is absolutely They're going to find that at contentadvisory.net, the, the, the place where we're putting all of our human-generated uh, nonsense or wonderfulness, depending on your point of view, I suppose. Splendid. And um, how's the evolution of the contentadvisory.net going? Is it the final uh, it's, version? It's, it's, gone very, it's gone very well. I uh-huh. mean, basically, we, we, we took our website down from, I think, you know, 30 or 40 pages of, here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Here's what yeah. we do. Here's how we do it. Here's the other yeah. thing we do. And here's how we do it. And here's another <laughs> thing we do. And here's yeah. how we do it. And we yeah. basically brought it down to three pages and said, we do this, this, and this. And if you yeah. want to know more, just talk to us. You know? <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. here's a bunch of content that we have, right? <laughs> here's the help button. I love it. All right. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, they're going to find me on LinkedIn and threads mm-hmm. primarily. Um, mm-hmm. Although I would invite everybody mm-hmm. to uh, join us, my friend Joe and I on our little nonsense podcast called This Old yes. Marketing, which you can go subscribe to on your favorite podcatcher. Yeah, and also on the tubes, right? You've got YouTube videos and YouTube shorts going on. So we are, yeah, you're doing all if the you, things. I mean, if you're, uh, we got all the things. We're actually now sort of <laughs> switching, uh, switching the strategy to be, you know, we're yeah. really more of a YouTube show that has an audio version available rather than an audio podcast with a YouTube version available. Yeah. So yeah. we're really it's, switching over mm. uh, and trying to become much more of a show. Mm. Uh, that is multi-platform. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll see how that continues <laughs> to go. TikTok, by the way, really interesting. Yeah. It's been yeah. it's been a very very interesting uh, evolution, if you will, of yeah. YouTube Shorts and TikTok has been really productive for us. That's fantastic. Well, which I um, would not have guessed. No, I, I think, and, and especially for the sort of business audience that we have, I, I'm still, I'm still a holdout on just going to video, let alone doing all the other things. So, um, unless listeners really, really insist that I'm sticking to audio for now, yeah, I think well, because of the editing. I, I'll tell you this: the advertisers don't recognize it yet. I mean, we are, yeah. you know, the 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 shows that are doing this are are well ahead of the mm. the buyers. Uh, oh, uh, in but this, in this market, because if you you know if you if you continue to get yeah inquiries into your advertising on your podcast mm. it's very rare that they want you know all of your channel uh yeah. statistics they just want your audio downloads so yeah, it's but, it's 
there's still a lot of work. There's still a very big evolution going on here. Yeah, but I think you're doing the right thing. I mean, it's the it's the prevailing advice at the moment is is to move to video, and particularly with the juggernaut like YouTube. I mean, they they're putting a lot of effort into podcasts and stuff, and and now you they'll take your RSS feeds and all that stuff. So it's a real change, isn't it? Anyway, we've digressed slightly. Um, so more most important for me, and maybe we can chat about this in the bar at some point. Will you be in the bar next week? Of course, and I hope to let's see this uh, to, to who who done. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Like any new doohickey or tool or thing they give us in marketing, you need a strategy first, not a solution looking for a problem. So some really good points there about AI. So that's a wrap on episode 205 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insight. And you can find a link to them, their work, and the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I would love to hear from you. So please say hello or drop us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will be diving into revenue operations and what this means for marketing leaders. And Robert will be back in the virtual bar with a fresh marketing thought. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO. FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.